Amen. So wonderful a Savior and so great a salvation is ours in him. Please pray with me. Lord, as we consider the truth of salvation exclusively being in you, we're reminded of what you told Noah to do, Noah of old, to build an ark. They'd never seen rain. They didn't know what it was, but God told this man, this righteous man Noah, to build a boat to certain specifications, and he built it. Probably was mocked, probably was ridiculed, laughed at as he built the ark. But Lord, you gave him grace to build it, and when it was completed, his family of eight persons went inside along with the pairs of the animals that you were to spare from the global flood. And Lord, we see that as a wonderful picture of the salvation that is ours in Christ, that Jesus, you are the sinner's ark of safety. You are the one who preserves us through the flood judgments that are coming upon those who are outside of God and in rebellion to him. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ is the provided ark, that he is secure, that he is safe, and that he is more than enough for the tempests of time, the surf that drives and the winds that blow while we're here on this earth. Lord, we thank you, too, that there was no rope handle on the inside of the ark's door because you closed the door on family Noah. You pressed that heavy door up into its closed position. You sealed it so that it would not leak. And their safety in the ark was not dependent upon them holding onto an inside rope to keep the door shut. So thank you that when we're in Christ, you keep us safe and secure in that salvation that once we are saved, we are always saved. Lord, we would ask that as we sail along in life in the security and the safety of the ark of Jesus Christ, that we would give you our worship, that we would give you our praise, that we would give you our yielded lives, that we would give you every gift you first have given us, that we would give it back to you in obedience and love. We pray, Lord, for those in our fellowship family that are hurting today, the bereaved, the sick, the unemployed, those with family problems, work problems. We give you these, your precious sheep, Lord Jesus, and we ask you to tenderly care for each that they would see your love and nearness this week. And then, Lord, we would pray for the world that is so messed up with sin, for the violence, the oppression, the exploitation, the greed. Lord, the violence. We know that the perfect Prince of Peace is coming back one day. And we pray that we who belong to this King would live out the royalty he's conferred upon us with consistency, humility, and an other's orientation. We thank you this day for the word of God, the Bible. We thank you that it is your love letter to us, Father. We thank you that it gives us everything we need for life and godliness in time spent on earth, but also in eternity spent with you. We thank you that your word stands settled forever in heaven. And as we come to your word now, deliver us, Lord, from any measure of pride we might have or distraction. But Lord, may we be recipients of your word at the deepest levels of our beings that you would change us and equip us to be your ambassadors for Christ this week. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity now before us. Be pleased with our reception of your word and with your servant's declaration of your word. Hide me and magnify Jesus, Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. And Jesus' people said, amen, amen. Well, those of you who prayed for us when we were away Monday to Friday last week to visit Beth's dad in Alabama 
and uh, sister and husband and our nephew. We had a wonderful time. Uh, we found Beth's dad, close to 90 years old, doing well, uh, enjoying some measure of independence in part of a home that is owned there by our family, has a caregiver, and he's even able to preach God's word uh, for about 20-minute sermons every Sunday at a senior center. He's been doing that for close to 10 years. Uh, so he's just continuing to serve the Lord, and we're so, so very grateful that he is doing well, and we're so grateful we had the days to go and be with him. And we go to encourage, but you know how it is. You always come away more encouraged than you encourage, I think. Well, last time we started a new series, a three-sermon series called Gifts You Can Give Back to God. And uh, last Sunday together, we looked at the gift of money. All the money that any of us has is first given to us as a gift from God. And we're just um, caretakers, managers, uh, stewards of the money that God entrusts to us. And I hope you recall that last time we looked at one verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, that taught us some things about how to give the gift of money back to God. And 1 Corinthians 16, 2 taught us five things. We are to give money back to God on Sundays, every Sunday, without excusing ourselves from giving, having first saved it up, and using some proportion as the measure. I trust that you are wanting to put that into practice, because it's not just that we must give, it's that we get to give. It's a privilege. It indeed is a privilege. And I suppose that for many of us, our first opportunity to put that principle or template for giving money back to God will happen a little later in this service. So I challenge myself and you in that regard. If you missed last Lord's Day's morning sermon, I'd encourage you to look that up on the webpage, calvarybible.org.bs. Just click on sermons and articles, and then you can pick the sermon and click on the little icon that looks like a film strip, and you could view that again. I think it'd be worth your while if you did not hear that sermon. This morning, we're going to continue in the gifts you can give back to God series, considering non-money gifts that God has first given to us, non-money gifts. You know, of course, it isn't just money that God has given to us, and James 1.17 makes that abundantly clear when it says, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So says James 1.17, part A. And so God has given you and me several non-money gifts that we are to give back to him. And this morning, we're going to consider eight non-money gifts that God has given to you that you are to give back to God. What are these eight non-money gifts that God has given you that you would give them back to him? Well, number one, your body. Your body is a gift that you can give back to God. We're going to move around a little bit this morning, so I trust that either you'll follow on the screen or in your Bibles. And I'm going first to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, yes. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. The context here is sexual immorality, but the principle taught is that the body you have, the body I have, is a gift given to us from God that we are to give back to him. And it says in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Your body is a gift you are not to succumb to immorality. You are to flee immorality. You remember in the Old Testament, Joseph was seduced by Potiphar's wife. She was trying to frame him. That when she seduced him, he ran away from her without clothes on because she pulled the clothes off him, but he ran away. That reminds me that when we present our body back to God as a gift first given to us by God and we flee immorality, we want to be like the chauffeur who was hired by the lady in the Hamptons on Long Island, New York. She ran an ad in the newspaper looking for a chauffeur for her limousine. 
wanted chauffeur for my limousine, such and such a place, such and such a time, such and such a phone number. First driver applies for the job, and she says, see this circular driveway? See this brick wall right on the edge of my driveway? If you were my chauffeur, how close could you get my limo to that wall without scratching it? He said, oh, ma'am, I'm very good, about two feet. Thank you anyway. Second man applied, how close could you get my limo to that wall if you were my chauffeur? Ma'am, I'm very good. I believe I could get within one foot of the wall without scratching your vehicle. Thank you any anyway. No, thank you. Third man came and said, ma'am, I have no idea how close I could get to that brick wall if I was your chauffeur, but if I was driving your limo, I would keep that as far away from that wall as I possibly could. <laughs> Flee immorality. And there's a lot of it around us on the internet, on the streets. There's a lot of it at school. There's a lot of immorality to flee. Part of giving our body back to God is to flee immorality. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we're told that we are to view our body as a sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The command here is after all the doctrine of the first 11 chapters of Romans, after all that truth about who we are in Christ, what salvation God's given to us, after all that, we need to make the choice to present our bodies as living holy sacrifices to God. Like presenting God with a blank check of your body and your life and saying, this is my body, Jesus. You died for me. You've forgiven me my sins. You own me. Take my body as a blank check, Lord Jesus. Fill me out payable to whomever you see fit. Whatever you see fit me paying for, I am yours. My body is yours. Still in Romans, still with the body. In Romans 6, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin, that's the law of sin and death, the principle, the downward pull into sinning. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but, 180 degree turn, Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I've taught you earlier in a past sermon that your body with its senses, your, your body with all of its parts, hands, feet, mind, soul, strength, is like a toolbox. And every morning, you should get up and make the conscious choice to present the tools of your body to the purposes of God which means not to present or to stop presenting the tools, the portions, the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness to your flesh and to the evil one. And so one of the great gifts God has given you is your body, and you can give your body back to God, and you ought to. That means chastity if you are not married. That means monogamy if you are married. That means moderation and not excess. And that means surrender of your body with all of its appetites, surrender of your body to Jesus. And so the first gift we've seen is that your body is a gift that you can give back to God. The second is your mind. Your mind is a gift that you can give back to God. I pastored an exceptional young man in Canada. His name was Gordon. And while he was in the latter part of high school, Gordon sensed God's missionary call upon his life to go to Japan to be a career missionary. So do you know what Gordon did in the midst of finishing up high school with all its AP courses to get into university, and then during university as he studied to be a mechanical engineer, do you know what Gordon did? He disciplined his mind, and he taught himself Japanese. He taught himself Japanese. How to write it, how to read it, how to speak Japanese. He gave his mind back to the Savior he sensed was calling him to career missionary service in Japan, and he taught himself Japanese in the context of AP classes and the context of a rigorous engineering program at the university. 
You see, we can give our minds back to God as a gift. What do I mean by that? If you go to Romans 12, verse 2, I see part of it. And do not, Romans 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, why, how, by the renewing of your mind. If you don't want to be put in the cookie-cutter mold of this world that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything, then it starts with your mind. It starts with how you think, what you allow yourself to think and what you do not allow yourself to think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so part of what it means to give our mind back to Christ is to have renewed thoughts. This is what renews thoughts, the Bible. But it's not just renewed thoughts. If you go to Smith, 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us more about the thoughts of a mind given back to God. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And, watch it, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When we give our minds back to God who first gave us our minds, we are bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. This is obedient thoughts. We give our minds back with renewed thoughts. We give our minds back with obedient thoughts, obedient thoughts that are brought captive to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every thought we have ought to be subsumed under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the lord of our minds he is the Lord of our thoughts. We are to give our mind back to God with renewed thoughts, with obedient to the Lordship of Christ thoughts. And then in Matthew 22, there's more about giving your mind back to God. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, when asked by a lawyer, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so a mind that is given back to God is a mind that has worshipful thoughts. Not just here as great as the worship is on Sundays in this sanctuary. Not just thoughts that are worshipful in this hour in a week, but all hours of the week that you are awake. Thoughts of worship, love, adoration to your Lord and Savior. We can give our mind back to God by renewed thoughts, obedient thoughts, worshipful thoughts. But then do you know what? We have to set our minds because our minds wander so much that even with a commitment to renewed thoughts, obedient thoughts, and worshipful thoughts, we can have our minds wander onto other thoughts. And that's why it says in Colossians 3, Colossians 3 and verse 2, that's why it says, set your mind. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. It's a choice. Set your mind. Set your mind on thoughts that are renewed, thoughts that are obedient, thoughts that are worshipful. Set your thoughts. And do you know what happens when we set our thoughts on those kind of thoughts and we give our mind back to God? That shapes who we actually are. It says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, the King James Version says in part, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know what? You're not what you eat. You're what you think. You and I are what we think. And so we've seen so far, your body is a gift which you can give back to God. Number two, your mind is a gift which you can give back to God. And number three, your strength is a gift that you can give back to God. Your strength. Psalm 90, Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12 read, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, 
Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of thine anger and thy fury according to the fear that is due thee? So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. You are aware, maybe the youngest people in the sound of my voice may not be as aware of this as they should be, but those of us who are beyond our 30s realize that our physical strength is ticking on the clock. It's diminishing. There is a medical term for this that will really bless your soul if you're over 30. It's sarcopenia. Sarcopenia. Zero to 30, muscles grow larger and stronger. At some point in the 30s, you begin to lose muscle mass and function. And then with the physically inactive, they lose between 3 and 5% per decade of their muscle mass after age 30. And that loss of muscle mass will accelerate sometime between the ages of 65 and 80 years old. So our strength, our physical strength, is on the clock. It's ticking down. But we can give whatever measure of physical strength back to God as a gift. And we ought to. We ought to give our physical strength back to God. I think of Caleb in Joshua 14, 6 through 12, if you want to look up old Caleb this afternoon. He was 80 years old, and yet he was only one of two spies of the 12 that went into the promised land to scout out the land for God and for Israel that says, we can take these guys. And Caleb, at 80 years of age, due to strength, that says in the text, said, give to God, give me that mountain. If you have physical strength, make that a gift you give back to God. Use your physical strength for the glory of God, which reminds me of the couple. The man hadn't been feeling well, and he went to the doctor. The doctor brought him into the examination room and left the wife in the waiting room, and he was in there the longest time with the doctor. And then he dismissed the man in the waiting room and called the wife in alone, and she was in the longest time without her husband. And eventually the doctor let her go, and they both looked pretty grim. And so they get into the car. They hadn't said a word to each other. They're driving away from the parking garage to go home. And finally, she says to him, well, what did he tell you? And he says, he told me I'm a very sick man. Unless I get my favorite hot breakfast, hot lunch, and hot dinner for the rest of my life, I'm going to die. <laughs> Turns to the wife and says, what did, what did he say to you? She goes, oh, no, no, it's not what he said to me. It's what I said to him. I told him he ain't going to make it. <laughs> you ain't going to make it. Your strength, even though it's on the clock, even though it's diminishing with age, your strength is a gift you can give back to God and you ought to. Your body is a gift you can give back to God. Your mind is a gift you can give back to God. Your strength is a gift you can give back to God. But in the fourth place, your time is a gift that you can give back to God. Your time. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 15 and reading through verse 17, listen. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. When it says in verse 15, be careful how you walk, that means be careful how you live. Uh, we enjoy shelling on the beautiful beaches of the family islands of the Bahamas and here on New Providence. When we have a little free time, we go on the beaches and we like to shell, Beth and I do. And we soon found out that on some beaches with the broken shells or the coral, that if you don't have swim shoes, you have to walk very carefully. You have to avoid things that will stick into you and hurt or cut. And God says every one of us ought to live carefully, walk carefully as we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And part of walking carefully as a representative of Jesus is to use the time that Jesus gives you wisely. 
And how do we do that? 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So the way we're careful in living is we're wise in living. And what does that look like? Verse 16, making the most of your time. You could translate the Greek word for time here as opportunities. Making the most of your opportunities. The days are evil. That means that we live in morally corrupted times of opportunity. There are lots of opportunities that present to each of us every single moment of every single day to present our lives to unwise corruption. But God says, give me the time I've given you back. Live wisely. Live carefully. Redeem the time. Use the opportunities to do my will and not corruption. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Making the most of your time is taking your time and its opportunities out of service with respect to Satan and putting your time and opportunities into the service of Jesus Christ. You know, my sister, I have two sisters, uh, both live in Toronto. My one sister, Mary, uh, she is an instructor for the Toronto Transit Commission. She instructs people how to drive streetcars, how to drive public buses, and how to drive uh, trolley cars. By the way, she should come down here and treat some of the Jidney drivers. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> but she's an instructor. And in Toronto, on the buses or the streetcars, sometimes on the subway cars, not very often, they'll put a sign in the, in the front of the vehicle, out of service. That means what that car normally does, they don't do at that particular time. It's getting serviced. It's got another purpose that it's being uh, used for, cleaning, perhaps, whatever the case might be. Or you go to a restaurant, like in Atlantis. And sometimes you'll see you go to have dinner and you go to talk to the host or hostess to get a table and the sign says, private function. It means that that particular dining room in Atlantis isn't open to any patron that night. It means that it's been reserved for the purpose of having a private function, a family function or a corporate function, whatever the case might be. This verse is saying that we give our time back to God when we live carefully, wisely, and take our time out of the service of Satan and taking our time and putting it into the service of the glory of God. Taking our opportunities out of the service of the adversary, taking our opportunities and making them available to the glory of Christ. That's how we give our time back to God. You know, when you're in balance, you are very mindful of the fact that you can't kill time without injuring eternity. When your life is in balance, as a believer, you become clear on one thing, that you can't really kill unlimited amounts of time without injuring eternity. Some people say that time is money, which reminds me of the doctor and the lawyer that were at a Christmas party, and they were having a nice time. Several others were there, of course. And this lady kept going up to the physician and asking her medical questions of the physician. And he answered, he answered, he answered. He got a little tired, so he drifted away from that lady and went up to an attorney that was also at the party and said, see that lady over there in the red dress? Mm-hmm. She's been asking me her medical questions all night. Can I bill her for that? The lawyer said, yeah, you can. Three weeks later, the doctor got a bill from the lawyer. <laughs> and all the lawyers said amen. Time is more than money. Time is ministry. Time is more than money. Time is ministry. You can't have a hit and run ministry. Ministry, whether it's winning lost souls or discipling those who are saved, takes time. And part of what we want to do as committed followers of Jesus is to give his gift of time first given to us, to give time back to Jesus. You know, we all have the same amount of time in a day. And we all have the same amount of time in a week. 
I wonder, could you be challenged to pick up this challenge? Could you tithe your waking time to God in a week? Let's say that you are awake seven days a week, eight hours a day. That's 56 hours a week. Could you tithe six hours in Christ's service back to him every week? If you don't know how you could possibly fill six hours of service to Jesus in a week, we as a pastoral staff could help you. We have some ideas. We're seeing that there are many non-money gifts that God has graciously given to each of us. He's given us a body. He's given us a mind. He's given us strength. He's given us time. Fifth, he's given us talents. Your talent is a gift which you can give back to God. In the Old Testament, you'll recall that believers made their talents available to build God's temple. There were stone cutters. There were tree cutters. There were carpenters. There were seamstresses. There were metal workers. There were laborers. These Old Testament believers freely gave of their talents back to God that a suitable temple for God's use and worship could be built. And I know this is a very talented, incredible body of Christ. In getting to know you over these months, I know that you have exceptional talents, a variety of talents. It's really quite amazing. Whatever your talent is, I challenge you to give it back to God. Give it back to God for his purpose. Give your talent back to God for his glory. What talents have I run across since I've been your pastor? And this is just a small sampling. Music, art, cooking, construction, law, medicine, commerce, technologies, athleticism, computer skills, childcare, finances, auto repair, plumbing, memorizing, that's a talent, nursing, teaching, farming, fishing, on and on and on it goes. In a congregation as wonderful as this one, the talents are rife. There's all kinds of talents. Identify your talents and consciously give them back to God. They're gifts he gave you that he intends for you to give back to him. I think of the last church I pastored in Pennsylvania. We had a problem, as is the case here in Nassau, of homelessness. Uh, and homelessness is a very uh, tragic problem wherever it happens in the world, something that the Church of Jesus Christ should do everything we can to assist and to uh, relieve. But homelessness in northeastern Pennsylvania had a whole different uh, severity to it than homelessness in the Bahamas with the temperate climate. And so there were men and women living in the forest without any way of staying warm in Pennsylvania. They were homeless. They had uh, very light clothing. They didn't have a even a tent to sleep in. And so a person from our church, a man who had a heart for the homeless, went and scoped them out and found them in the forest and befriended them and gave them things they needed, food, water, encouragement, Bibles. And then he came back and let the need of the homeless be known to our church. And do you know what? There were some ladies, some older ladies that were housebound, ladies some of whom were shut in and couldn't even come to public worship services because of maladies. And they put their heads together and decided to quilt heavy, quilts for the homeless. And they worked on those quilts in their homes. They made beautiful, heavy, warm quilts. They brought them to the office. We gave them to the team from our church who took those quilts to the homeless in the forest. And they could sleep in the winter and be warm. Talent, quilting, given back to God. Or I think of even right here at this credible body of Christ, the faithful men who meet Saturday mornings at 6.30 in the morning for a Bible study, you're invited to join the faithful men at 6.30. It's a wonderful time, the times I've sat in with the men. The faithful men also have a ministry of helping the widows of our church family. Plumbing, carpentry, roof repairs, whatever the need is for a woman who's a widow in our church family, when she makes that need known, the faithful men of our congregation go and work on her house as unto the Lord, using their talents. When you have a talent, 
give it back to God. Now watch this. Talents are different than spiritual gifts. How so, pastor? Talents have to do with genetics, environment, and education. You're born with a talent. You can be around people with a talent and catch it, learn it, and you can teach yourself a talent. That's a talent. We're to give that back to God. But a spiritual gift is different. Spiritual gifts have to do with a rebirth with conversion. Spiritual gifts have to do with God's will. Spiritual gifts have to do with God's plan. Spiritual gifts have to do with the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual gifts. So talents were to give those back to God. Spiritual gifts were also to give back to God, but they're different. A talent can be enhanced by our efforts. A spiritual gift should be discovered and used. Talents operate both inside and outside of the local church. There are people with musical talent who are not in a church in Nassau. There are people like our musically talented people in a body of believers that have the same musical talent. Talents can operate both outside of and inside of a local church, but spiritual gifts have the context always of the local church as the primary base of their operations. So what are your talents on loan to you from God? Do you know? What an exercise it would be this afternoon as you drive home with your loved one and say, what do you think my talents are? Wouldn't it be great to discover what your talent is if you don't know? And if you do know, would you give your talent back to God? There was a man in the former church I pastored who was a, uh, a pr- uh, uh, gifted high school teacher in the sciences. And when he retired, he came to our church, and there were Awana children in our church that couldn't read or read very poorly. And Murray would sit with them tirelessly, one-to-one, and teach them how to read He was top drawer acknowledged public school teacher in the sciences at the high school level, and he gave his talent to teach to the least of these, the children that were being left behind in the mainstream educational system in Ontario. He knew his talent. He gave it back to God. We saw some of those children not only learn how to read, but learn how to read well with comprehension. It was beautiful. And so we're saying there are non-money gifts that God has given us that we ought to give back to him. Your body, your mind, your strength, your time, your talent, your assets, the things that money buy that you have, your assets. You know, in the New Testament, Lydia, seller of purple garments, gave her house back to God. First church met in her house. The little boy gave his sack lunch to Jesus. He gave his sack lunch back to God. The donkey owner gave his colt back to God. Mary gave her expensive perfume back to God. Nicodemus gave his unused burial tomb back to God. What about you and me? We could give our cars back to God. Driving shut-ins to Bible studies and worship services driving persons without transportation to medical appointments or food stores. We could give our cars back to God. We could give our boats back to God. My very first uh, youth ministry trip for Calvary Bible Church was on Rose Island. Was that ever fun? And there are people, faithful members of the body of Christ here, that gave their boats back to God for that day. And they took us to Rose Island on their boats. They gave their boats back to God. You could give your clothes back to God. Operation in as much has a ministry of food principally, but there's also some clothing over there that we give to people in need of clothing. You could give your house back to God. You could have a mini church meet in your home next season when we need homes. You could be like Mrs. Ross Perot. Remember Ross Perot years back when he ran for the presidency in the United States and split the Republican vote, and that was unfortunate, but Sorry. I gave that away. Um, 
Ross Perot was raised, although he's a billionaire when he ran for president, he was, he was raised in abject poverty, financial poverty. And he, he lived in a time as a boy when the hobos would run on the railroad, railroad cars and would stop in, in various places they were unknown in and would try to beg for meals and work and everything. And uh, one day, the hobos were coming to the Perot house uh, often, and, and Ross, as a little guy, saw it. He said, you know, I can't figure out why that is. And one day he was playing ball on the street, and he looked down, and there was a chalk mark on the curb, and he figured out that that chalk mark was hobos telling other hobos where they could get an easy meal. And so the chalk mark on the curb in front of the pro house sent the hobos in to get meals. And Ross said, I'm going to fix this problem. And as a boy, he went up to his mom and said, Mom, you know why all the hobos are coming here for meals? She goes, no, why, son? Because there's a chalk mark on the uh, curb right aside our house. Tells them they can get a free meal. Uh, I rubbed it out, Mom. Everything's, I rubbed it out. She goes, you go back right out there, and you put that chalk mark back on that curb, because I put that chalk mark there so they know to come in. You could present your house back to God in many different creative ways. Uh, you could give your food back to God. So many of you do that by giving food to your servant, uh, his servant and your servant, the Elliots. We've gotten so blessed with bananas and pineapples and tomatoes and pears and crawfish and dillies and sour oranges and grouper and guava jam and ganaps and moringa and peas and cassava and papaya and the list goes on. I mean, you are sharing your crops with the Lord by sharing your crops with the Lord's servant and we're so grateful. You could give your music back to God. You could decide what plays on your device honors Jesus and not anything else. You could give your power tools back to God. You could give your devices to God, your books, your Bibles. You could give your assets to God. So we're seeing that there's lots of non-money gifts that God gives to us that we really ought to give back to him, our body, our mind, our strength, our time, our talent, our assets. How about our children? Say what? Yes, our children. Our children are not our own. They are God's. He caused them to have life and birth. Children are God's. And as his gifts to us as parents, we need to consciously, intentionally, and realistically give our children back to God. Psalm 127, listen. Behold, verse 3, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Did you catch it? Children are a gift from the Lord. Children are reward from God. And they're compared to arrows. Do you know why? Because all things being equal, arrows go further than the archers who shoot them. I know some parents have the incredibly emotionally tearing up experience of having to bury a dead child. And that is some of the most pain you could have. But all things being equal, our children outlive us and they bury us. Those children are a gift from God, a gift that we intentionally ought to give back to God as arrows. Children are arrows because as an archer, dad, you pull that back and then you aim where the arrow is going. You aim at the target the arrow is going to hit. And that should be Christ, salvation, service in the church, holy marriage, parenting a new generation to fear and love God. These are the targets that we should be pointing our children to, men, as archers. Children are a gift from the Lord. That's why we have baby dedication ceremonies. We don't baptize young babies or infants because they don't understand sin, substitution, or faith in Christ. Instead, Christian parents who acknowledge their baby is a gift from the Lord come before us and, and God principally and say, I acknowledge that this child is God's. This child is a gift from God for me to love and to raise for the glory of God, and I'm going to do my prayerful best. Will you help me? That's what a baby dedication is about. I'll never forget, in the one Canadian church I pastored, we had a missions conference. Ours is coming up here in March 9 to 13. 
And I remember a veteran missionary that we supported in Thailand. His name is Brian Crawford, Overseas Missionary Fellowship with his mission. He was 34 years a missionary in Thailand. He stood up at our missions conference and he said, do you know what is, in my opinion, one of the main single factors to the great commission of Jesus Christ not being fulfilled in our generation? And I was sure he was going to say money. He said, Christian parents who won't release their children to career cross-cultural missionary service. Parents who would not release their children for career missions cross-culturally, the greatest impedance to the Great Commission being fulfilled in our generation. That's what he said. How do you view your children? Are they yours or are they God's? If they're God's, have you told them do what God wants you to do. Don't worry about the family business. That's what my grandfather told me. He said, we have two funeral homes there. Happen to be in my name, which is your name after me. You can run them and own them if you want, but I only want you to do what Jesus wants you to do. You ever told your children that? You are God's child. He loaned you to us. We love you for all we're worth, but we only want you to do what Jesus wants you to do wherever that takes you. We've seen your body you can give to God, your mind you can give to God, your strength you can give to God, your time you can give to God, your talents you can give to God, your assets you can give to God, your children you can give to God. Last, your spiritual gift you can give back to God. Romans 12 Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. After the verses about presenting our bodies living in holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship and not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Right after that truth comes the verses I'm going to read, 3 through 8. For for through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. This is interesting. One of the curbs, the safeguards, the preventers from being arrogant and proud in the body of Christ the church is not to think too highly of yourself to realize that the spiritual gift you have is not all the gifts there are to have. And God has put people around you in the church who have differing spiritual gifts because you need each other. Verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Here we go. These are the gifts, the spiritual gifts that I see operative in the New Testament. Ready? And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, that's number one, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, that's gift number two, in serving or three, teaches in his teaching, or four, who exhorts in his exhortation, five, who gives with liberality, six, who leads with diligence, seven, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So seven spiritual gifts in these two verses. None of us has all of those gifts. None of us has been left out of having any gift. All of us have at least one of those gifts, sometimes two, in the sovereign plan of God. So let's unpack these very quickly. Prophesying is the non-technical sense of the word. When a person has a spiritual gift of prophesying, it doesn't mean that he has direct um, word from God to add to the Bible. This is prophesying that is not foretelling, but this is the gift of prophesying which is forthtelling, F-O-R-T-H, forthtelling. The person with the prophesying spiritual gift now tells forth what God has already said in his word, and it leads to life change in other people. Some of you have the spiritual gift of prophesying, forth-telling what God has revealed in scripture, and it changes other people's lives who hear you forth-tell it. Serving. Serving is the person who facilitates ministry behind the scenes. Thank you very much. The person with the gift of serving doesn't like the spotlight. 
My wife has a spiritual gift of serving. She loves to help behind the scenes. Teaching, the spiritual gift of teaching is causing others to learn scripture, having accurate interpretation of the Bible, clear illustrations of the truth of the Bible, causing other people to learn the Bible. The person with the spiritual gift of teaching helps others learn God's word. That is God's spiritual gift to me. Exhorting. This is a spiritual gift of effectively calling others to obey the Lord. The person with the gift of exhorting calls others to obey God. The gift of giving. The person with the spiritual gift of giving gives sacrificially, gives anonymously, and gives with the purpose of motivating the rest of the group to give. The gift of spir- the spiritual gift of giving does not take away the privilege the rest of us have who do not have the spiritual gift of giving, does not excuse us from giving, but it's the spiritually gifted in the area of giving motivate others to give by giving without a name attached to it. Leading, the spiritual gift of leading is God-honoring administering of people, programs, and monies. Every local assembly needs a person spiritually gifted in leading, having a God-honoring ability to administer people, programs, and monies. Our deacons largely have that spiritual gift. Showing mercy. Showing mercy is the spiritual gift of sympathizing with persons in pain, empathizing with people who are hurting, listening to people who are suffering with patience. So let me illustrate this. These are the the seven uh, spiritual gifts in Romans 12, 6 through 8. Again, prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, showing mercy. So let me give you an illustration. Maybe you'll get get a glimpse of what spiritual gift you might have, all right? I want you to imagine something very far-fetched, that the sisters of our church went to Florida on a turbo shopping experience. Can you imagine that? Ever happen? Yeah. There is a book in a movie called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I want you to picture that some of the sisters in our fellowship have gone over to Florida for a retreat, perhaps, and some shopping. And I want you to imagine that one of the sisters, this is a made-up name, um, Alexandra, has a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day shopping in Florida. The first thing that happened to her was she had a brand new smartphone of hers go dead just when she needed it to have power. She didn't charge it. Well, that was the first thing that happened. That was minor, really. She just ran out of juice, and she had to borrow someone's charger to get it all working. But the second thing that happened to Alexandra's iPhone when in Florida was that she dropped it on the floor, and its screen shattered. Then... The last thing which happened to Alexandra was, you guessed it, she forgot her iPhone in a TJ Maxx change room, and when she went back for it, it was gone. So there in Florida, power shopping with her sisters in Christ, Sister Alexandra had her terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Now, you can imagine in this illustration that with the believing women around Alexandra, Every one of the seven spiritual gifts was represented in the various women. And so, because that's the case, one sister with the gift of prophesying pulled out the iPhone directions and said this, Alexandra, you need to read about charging. You need to read about putting a case to protect your device, and you need to read about how to locate a lost device. That's the gift of prophesying. The sister on the trip with the gift of serving, she had a different response altogether. When the sister with the spiritual gift of serving heard of Alexandra's situation, when the phone was dead and broken, but before it was lost, this sister with the gift of serving quietly charged the phone without anybody knowing about it. 
And when the iPhone got to be lost, without anyone knowing, the sister with the spiritual gift of serving went back to TJ Maxx alone and double-checked with the manager to see if it had been turned in overnight. The sister in the group with the spiritual gift of teaching, she showed Alexandra the Find iPhone app and taught her how to use it. And then the sister with the spiritual gift of teaching showed Alexandra Calboom.com and how to buy cheap iPhones. <laughs> the sister in the group with the spiritual gift of exhorting urged Alexandra to go past the reading of the manual to go on to actually and properly charging her phone, putting an otter box on her phone, and locating her phone when it ever become lost again. The sister with the spiritual gift of giving anonymously put cash in Alexandra's hotel room with a simple note that said the money was for a new iPhone, also unlimited talk time and data plan for one year. The sister on the trip with the spiritual gift of leading made a plan, an action plan, for some of the sisters on the trip to arrange for an otter box and for a replacement insurance for Alexandra's next iPhone. And oh yes, the sister with the spiritual gift of showing mercy took Alexandra for a pedicure and lunch <laughs> so she could listen to how Alexandra felt without her being embarrassed or stressed out. That's a, maybe a silly little picture, but that is an illustration of how it works. And we have all seven spiritual gifts in this body of believers. And one gift is not more important than the other gift. All the gifts are necessary. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you use it? Do you know what your spiritual gift is from the list in Romans 12, 6 through 8? Do you use it? One thing we know is that the giving of spiritual gifts is instantaneous at the point of conversion. It's automatic. We don't put in a request to the Lord, I'd like to have the spiritual gift of showing mercy. No, he endows us sovereignly with the spiritual gift he wants for us to have that we would bring glory to his name. Each believer has at least one spiritual gift, and no believer has all the spiritual gifts, as we could see in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 31, if you want to study that. No believer has them all. And that picture there is of a body, but we could also say a choir or a football team or a car engine. All the parts have different functions, but all the parts are necessary for the choir to sing properly, for the football team to uh, play proper football, and for the car engine to work. Spiritual gifts, they're for the greater good. First Peter 4.10 says that we are to give use to our gifts for the building up of each other in the faith. Now, most ministries are spiritual gifts specific. What I mean by that is that most ministries require a certain spiritual gift from the Romans 12 list to be able to function in that ministry. And what I say is the best way to discover your spiritual gift is not necessarily with a questionnaire, but to get involved, to roll your sleeves up in the ministry here at the church. Just volunteer for a ministry that needs help. And if that ministry that you volunteer for uses your spiritual gift, then one hour will seem like five minutes. But if the ministry you volunteer for requires a spiritual gift you don't have, then five minutes will seem like an hour. And that's all right. Learn by trying. Use your spiritual gift within your church for your God's glory. Give your spiritual gift back to God. How would you feel if you gave a very expensive watch to your friend as a gift and then you found out later that he's never worn it because he put it away for safekeeping in his drawer. That's how God feels when he gives every believer a spiritual gift and we don't use it. And so we've seen today the non-money things that we can and should give back to God, our body, our mind, our strength, our time, our talent, our assets, our children, our spiritual gift. One Sunday morning, 
the offering was being taken in a church where they didn't have bags like we do, but offering plates instead. And there was a little boy with his family seated in the front row center section. And as the offering plate came forward and it was being passed eventually to his front row, he took the plate from the usher, carefully and respectfully put it down on the floor. And because he was small enough, his feet fit inside the offering plate on the floor and he stood in the offering plate. Very quickly, people saw that this wasn't being cute and this wasn't something to laugh about because they saw the tears in the little child's eyes. He understood that the most important thing he could give back to God was himself. And so he stood in that offering plate to say, everything is yours, Lord. May that be our heart. May that be our heart when it comes to money. May that be our heart when it comes to all these other things, our body, our mind, our strength. May that be our heart with our time and our talent, with our assets and with our children. May that be our heart with our spiritual gift. Because Jesus didn't stand in an offering plate. He hung on a cross. He hung on a cross. And because he gave the best, necessarily we give back to him in thanks and worship. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the non-money gifts you lavish upon us. Help us, Lord, to understand they should go back to you. Be honored and glorified in our choices. Show yourself as great as you truly are in our giving back choices. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory. Amen.